If you have a Bible, why don't you open with me to Matthew chapter 7. If you've not already done so, Matthew chapter 7. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you as your children and we ask that you might open up our eyes and our hearts and our minds so that we might see and hear you this morning. Father, many of us come this morning with a disoriented faith, and we just pray, God, if that's where we're at, that you would meet us and that you would bolster bolster our faith. I pray, Father, for those of us who know joy and who are celebrating this morning, God, that you would meet us there and further increase our hope and our joy in you. And I pray, Father, wherever you might find us, that you might meet us there and take us to where you want to go. And we ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. So there's a story told of a lady who one day was walking down the beach, and while she was walking down the beach, she noticed this magic lamp. And so she reached down and she picked it up and she rubbed the magic lamp, and out came a genie. So this is a, a true story, you can tell. And the genie said... I, he said, thank you so much, you, you've let me out of my, my lamp, and now I will grant you three wishes. Ask me whatever you wish, and you will receive. And the woman sat there, and she thought for a little bit, and she kind of like drew upon her altruistic self, and uh, you know, she got out a map, and she opened it up, and she said, well, there's this place in the world, and she pointed to the Middle East, she said, there's a lot of fighting and conflict, Jeannie, I want you to bring peace to the Middle East. And and then she said, wait, wait, no, scrap that. Jeannie, I want you to bring peace to the entire world. And the genie looked at her and said, look, ma'am, I'm good, but I'm not that good. Ask me for something a little bit more reasonable. And she was a single lady, and she said, well, okay, well, what I really want is a good man, a man who is smart and handsome and sensitive and hardworking, who cooks and cleans and who's sensitive and who always listens and who never watches any sports. That's my request. And the genie looked at her and she, he said, uh, where's that map again? <laughs> that was terrible, wasn't it? But it reminds me of this passage, except for in our passage, you know, Jesus says to us, Ask God, and you will receive. Now, of course, Jesus is not presenting God in our text as a genie, and this text is not addressed to some random person walking along the street. Jesus is talking here to his disciples. Uh, This passage comes to us in the Sermon on the Mount. And so he's talking to those of us who have decided to walk in the way of the kingdom. We've received the gift of God. And we're seeking to love our enemies. We're seeking to turn the other cheek and walk the extra mile and be merciful and forgive and work toward reconciliation. And it is this group of people that Jesus now addresses and he gives to us this incredible promise. He says, ask and you shall receive. Now this has got to be one of the most stunning and shocking and breathtaking of any teaching that we have in the Bible about prayer. Jesus essentially says, look, he says, ask and seek and knock. And he says, he says, you will meet a father who is gracious and generous and he will provide for you. And so surely this is one of the most stunning and helpful and encouraging passages about prayer that we have in the entire Bible. Amen. And yet it's also one of the most confusing. 
Because many of us have asked and we didn't receive, we sought and we didn't find, and we knocked and the door remained closed. And some of us have found ourselves wondering, why aren't some of my prayers answered? And we wonder, are we doing something wrong? Do we not have enough faith? Uh, Maybe I'm not doing it right. Maybe there's some key to effective prayer that I've not quite yet learned. Uh, Maybe uh, I've not learned to, you know, pray with kind of the right intonation. You know, I can remember back when I was uh, younger going to my my grandmother's Pentecostal church, and I remember being so impressed at the way those people prayed, you know, the way they intoned the name Jesus and God. And I remember thinking, man, if you could pray just like that, like then, you know, that would be the key, you know. But is there a key? Is there a lover? Is there some sort of a secret to effective prayer? So I want you to explore with me what Jesus teaches us here in our text about prayer. And we're going to look at it underneath three headings. First, we're going to look at the nature of prayer. Second, our assurance in prayer. And then finally, we'll see uh, something about the problem of prayer. So let's, uh, let's kind of tick through these. Uh, notice, I want you to, to look firstly with me about the nature of prayer. Look at what Jesus says in chapter 7, verse 7. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and to the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now stop there for a second. And what I want you to observe in the text is the key, the operative word in this whole passage. It's mentioned five times, and it's the simple word, ask. And here is the nature of prayer. Here is what prayer is all about. Prayer is simply going to God and making your requests known. It's going to God with some asks. It's presenting to him your deepest concerns in your heart. It's making it known to him. And then he gives us an analogy in verse 9. Look at what he says. He says, Or which of you, if his son gives him bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And so do you see what Jesus is doing here? Jesus is redefining our relationship with God. He is naming you child, and he is saying, God is your father. And this is breathtaking. You know, in the first century, uh, there was a, there, there's a scholar who does a lot of work on uh, the prayers of Judaism within the first century. His name was Joachim uh, Jeremias. And he did, you know, a few decades ago, he did this extensive study of all of the prayers of ancient Judaism. And he, he said this, this is his observation. He said, the prayer literature in ancient Judaism, large and rich as it is, is in no place is the invocation of God as our Father to be found. In other words, what Jesus is doing here is utterly unique. He is giving us a gift. He says, when you come to me, you are a child and God is your Father. And so you and I were not simply minute creation, speaking to the grand creator, though when we pray, we certainly are doing that. We are children who are going to our heavenly father. Henry Nouwen put it like this. He said, to pray is to listen to the one who calls you my beloved daughter, my beloved son, my beloved child. To pray is to let that voice speak to you in the center of your being, to your guts, and to let that voice resound to your whole person. 
And after that good voice resounds, Jesus says, make your requests known to God. He says, bring your concerns to God and ask. And it's, there's almost a law here. And the law is this, that the way we receive something from the Father is simply to ask. So bring your concerns to God and ask him about them. Now, I know that sometimes we might think uh, that this might be a little bit man-centered, a little bit self-centered. You know, there's a praise view of prayer, and that's very God-centered. And then there's thankfulness in prayer, and that's very humble. But asking and making requests sounds very self-centered. Well, Frederick Dale Bruner, he said this. I found this helpful. He said this. He said, but in the Lord's Prayer, all six sentences are petitions. They are askings. The right way to, to appear before God is not as givers to a divine egoist, but as receivers from a generous father. It lets God be God and human beings be human beings. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that, of course, praise God, and of course, bring God your thanks. You need to do that. And I'm not saying that God is some cosmic genie or a cosmic Coke machine. You know, he's not your sugar daddy in heaven who's just there to help you achieve, you know, the American dream. No, Jesus is instructing kingdom people, people whose requests are shaped by the values and the priorities of Jesus and his kingdom. But nonetheless, there is a place for bringing your own personal concerns to God. And again, I, I, I know, have you ever felt like sometimes the things you pray about are just too small? You know, they're, they're so first world, you know? Like kind of these miniature little first world problems. I remember several years ago now, uh, my wife uh, was at home, and I was out of the country, actually, and she had misplaced her phone, and it went missing for a few days. And this was the way in w whereby she was, uh, she was keeping in touch with me, you know? And so this is kind of a big deal. So she was stressed about this, and she just scoured the house. She went to the car. She looked under the car seats and scoured through the car, just did this whole thing. She couldn't find it anywhere. And after a couple, couple days, she, she finally thought, well, maybe I'll pray. And then she thought, God doesn't ask, answer these kind of prayers. You know, this is such a first world problem. God, help me find my phone. But then she just said, Lord, help me find my phone. She went out to the car, and the phone was like sitting on the front seat. She's like, what? You know, how did this happen? Dallas Willard put it like this. He said, many people have found prayer impossible because they thought they should pray only for wonderful but remote needs that they had little or no interest in or knowledge of. Prayer simply dies from efforts to pray for things, uh, for good things that honestly don't matter to us. And then he says this, listen. He says, the way to get to meaningful prayer for the good things is to start by praying for what we are truly interested in. And the circle of our interest will inevitably grow in the largeness of God's love. Now, of course, God doesn't want you to be stuck in all of your little first world problems. But if that's where you're at, go to God with where you're at. He wants to meet the real and the authentic you not the pretended overly spiritual you that doesn't actually exist. And so he says, be honest, bring your needs to God. And notice the assurance. When we come to God with our request, notice the assurance again in verse 9. We do not find a stingy divine being, but a generous and a gracious father who is willing to meet our needs. 
Now, look again at the text. Just look down at your Bibles. I want you to notice that there are three commands in our text. I've actually thrown them up here. Ask, seek, and knock. And these three commands are matched by not three, but six promises. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus is encouraging us. He's saying, come to the Father, make your requests known, and God will respond to you. Or let me just put it bluntly like this, just very simply like this. God answers prayer. God answers prayer. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, neighbor, go ahead. Don't look at me. Turn to your neighbor. Come on. Say, neighbor, God answers prayer. (laughs) Now, Modern man thinks that the universe is closed and that we live in this mechanistic, blind chance universe, this endless succession of cause and effect with no hope of outside help breaking in. And Jesus says to the modern man, you are wrong. The universe is open to the love and the power and the concerns of its creator. Now, this challenge is a common idea I think many of us think about prayer, and it's illustrated like this. I don't know if you've heard this illustration. I've used this illustration before, but after studying the scriptures more, I've come to question it. But the illustration goes like this. Prayer is like a man who's sitting on a boat, and he casts a line out, and it attaches to an island. And then the man starts reeling in his line, and then the question is asked, who is moving, the man in the boat or the island class? the man in the boat. And they said, so too in prayer. We throw our prayers out to God and we attach him to God. But God is not moved. God is just the eternal unblinking stare in the sky. It is we who change in response to prayer. But doesn't that make prayer something of a charade? God is only pretending to answer prayer by doing the things he was already going to do anyway. And that's not what the scriptures teach. The scripture says that the the prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a person like us, and he prayed and it rained, and then he prayed and it stopped. There's a scene in the Old Testament where God is going to bring disaster on the nation of Israel, and Moses intercedes, he steps in, and God turns from bringing disaster. God answers prayer. Tony Campolo, some of you might know who he is, is a kind of a well-known uh, speaker and uh, writer and whatnot, but he tells this brilliant story. He, he has all these crazy stories that happen to him, but he goes to speak at this Pentecostal Bible college in Philadelphia. And before he spoke, they took him backstage to pray for him, which he said was awesome. He said, but then they prayed for a very, very long time, he said, which wasn't so awesome. And, uh, and he said, uh, they prayed, and it went on and on and on and on. And he says, what, what made matters even worse is that um, all nine guys that went in the back to pray for him laid their hands on his head. And if you've ever seen Tony Campoli, he's got like a bald head, and, so, and these guys, and it's getting all sweaty and uncomfortable. And he said, then, then on top of that, you know, here they're supposed to pray for him before he goes out and speak, and they, they, they're laying their hands on him. And he said... There was one guy who he said wasn't even praying for me. He was praying for some guy named Charlie Stoltzwitz. And he tells a story like this. He says, this guy says, dear Lord, 
You know Charlie Stoltzfitz. He lives in that silver trailer down the road a mile. You know the trailer, Lord. Down the road, just right next to the right-hand side. And Tony says, I wanted to inform the prayer that it was not necessary to furnish God with directional material. (laughs) There's always somebody in a prayer meeting like that, isn't there? Well, he went on. Lord, Charlie told me this morning that he was going to leave his wife and three kids. Step in, Lord, and do something, God. Bring that family back together. Well, the prayer time ends. Tony goes in and he speaks. After he's done speaking, he goes out, gets in his car, and he hops on the New Jersey Turnpike, and as he's driving up the road, he sees a hitchhiker. He pulls over, and he invites him to hop in his car, and he introduces himself. He says, hi, my name is Tony Campolo. What's your name? And the man said, my name is Charlie Stoltzfitz. (laughs) Campolo says, I couldn't believe it. I got off the turnpike at the next exit and headed back. The man got a little uneasy with that. And after a few minutes, he said, hey, mister, where are you taking me? And Tony said, I'm taking you home. He narrowed his eyes and asked why. I said, you just left your wife and three kids, right? That blew him away. Yeah, that's right. With shock written all over his face, he plastered himself against the car door and never took his eyes off me. (laughs) Then he says, I really did him in. As I drove right down to his silver trailer, and when I pulled up, his eyes seemed to bulge as he asked, how did you know I lived here? And I said, God told me. (laughs) He said, I believe God did tell me. And when he opened the trailer door, his wife exclaimed, you're back, you're back. And he whispered in her ear, and the more he talked, the bigger her eyes got. And then Tony said with real authority, the two of you sit down, and I'm going to talk to you, and you're going to listen. And man, did they listen. (laughs) That afternoon, I led those two young people to Christ. God answers prayer. And Jesus is encouraging us with this. He's saying, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock, and the door will be open. You have a generous father who is attentive to the cries of his children. Well, this, of course, brings us now to the problem of prayer, doesn't it? You know, I think the greatest encouragement to me to prayer is answered prayer. And I think the greatest discouragement for me with prayer is unanswered prayer. And some of you haven't prayed in a very long time because of unanswered prayer. Somebody here would love to be married, and then you pray for years to meet the right person, and you never do. Somebody here wrestles with depression, and you ask God to lift it, and he never lifts it. Somebody is cheated and wronged at work, and you pray for justice to prevail, and justice doesn't prevail. Somebody here has prayed for years for a prodigal to come home, and they haven't come home. And it seems to you like the inverse of this text is at work. You asked and you didn't receive. You sought and you didn't find. You knocked and the door wasn't open. And you wonder, does prayer even work? I mean, can we just have an honest moment here? Has anybody here wondered that? How are we supposed to think about this? What are we supposed to do with unanswered prayer? Well, I want to suggest at least four things to you this morning just for your consideration. The first thing that I want you to consider is, number one, the possibility that God is actually answering more of your prayers than you think, but the problem is is that you're just not keeping track. 
You know, since the late 80s, uh, there have been over 130 uh, studies done, set up with the most careful scientific controls over a variety of different um, people of illnesses and sicknesses and whatnot who have been prayed for. And there was a very famous study done back in the 80s, and some of you might remember this, I don't know. Um, and this one was set up with very, a very careful you know, control of 393 coronary heart patients. And what the research revealed, and it was like shared on news stations and whatnot, uh, because the results were so impressive, uh, was that the group that was prayed for, of that group, significantly fewer died, fewer required the use of the most potent drugs, and not one of them was put on life support. Now, it struck me when I read that, um, maybe all of those prayers that I've prayed for friends who had cancer or who had heart disease or who were sick or whatever have been of more avail than I thought. I mean, I'm sure that if you perform the same study on job seekers who pray or on spouse seekers who pray, you would find similar results. I mean, God knows that my wife would have never married me had it not been for answered prayer. But you question yourself, don't you? You think, well, maybe it was just a coincidence. You know, maybe the phone was sitting there all the time. Maybe it would have happened anyway, even if I didn't pray. You've thought that, haven't you? You have. But these studies would indicate, and God's word would indicate, no, God cares about his children, and he responds to the requests of his people. So maybe God is answering more prayers than you think, but the problem is is that you're just not keeping track. But let me just suggest something else. Second, it may be that the things that you ask for are not as good for you as you thought, and that it's actually an act of mercy and grace that God hasn't answered you. You know, Jesus says in our text, how much more will your father give what kind of gifts? Good gifts. How much more will your father give good gifts? Not just gifts, but good gifts. Now, I don't know how many of you guys like country music or Garth Brooks. I know I don't. But, but Garth Brooks released a song. No judgment here if you like country music. We respect that here. Pepe, you said it's all right, yeah. But uh, Garth Brooks released this song several years ago uh, called Unanswered Prayer. And it came from a real life experience that he had of when he was in high school, he had this enormous crush on this girl that he thought was so beautiful and great. And he prayed and prayed and prayed that God would make her fall in love with him. And then um, uh, several years later, uh, he goes back to a, a high school reunion. It's like a couple decades later or whatever. And he walks in and he sees this girl across the floor. And he, he just can't believe that he was into her at any point in time in his life. And he, and he, he mumbles under his breath, thank God. <laughs> and then he wrote this song in response. And the chorus of the song has this line called, Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Now, maybe you're not into Garth Brooks, but listen to the great 20th century preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones, which if... If the great 20th century preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones and Garth Brooks agree on the same thing, it just has to be right, right? But Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, let me put this bluntly. I thank God that he is not prepared to do anything that I may chance ask him. Aren't you? I mean, think of all the stupid things that you've asked for that you only know in retrospect. In my life, 
like many others, I have asked God to do things which at the time I wanted very much and which I believed were the very best things for me. But now, standing at this juncture in my life, I can say that I am profoundly grateful to God that he didn't grant me certain things that I asked for and shut the door in my face. At the time, I did not understand, but now I know. Anybody here relate to that at all? You know, sometimes for God to answer your prayers would maybe just simply enable your own dysfunction. You know, sometimes we ask God to do that which God had asked us to do. Some of us just, God, I pray that you'd make me healthy. Well, maybe you should exercise and change your diet. (laughs) There are different things you can adjust in your life. You know, like that little boy who uh, emerged out of um, his geography exam and he was all frazzled and stressed. And he just, God, God, I pray that you would let Paris be the capital of Turkey. And we do this sometimes. So maybe you're asking for something and it's just not good for you. Let me give you a third consideration. Maybe it is that there's an obstacle in your life that is preventing God from answering your prayer. You know, years ago, and any parent has had this experience, um, I had one of my kids who loved to eat chips. And so we would serve, you know, a great display of Mexican food. There would be beans and rice and carne asada and guacamole or something, and then chips. And one of my daughters would gather a bunch of chips on her plate, and she'd eat all of her chips first. And then she would say, Daddy, can you pass me some more chips? And I would say, Honey, when you finish eating the food on your plate, you can have more chips. And some of you have something on your plate that God wants you to deal with before you go asking him for more chips, for more something in your life. The Bible says this, it says, if you close your ears to the cries of the poor, God will not hear you. Maybe that's one of the reasons why a lot of us Americans don't have more of our prayers answered. But I want you to consider one more category with me, and honestly, this is the hardest one. Sometimes... People ask for really good things with a really good heart, and even still, that prayer doesn't get answered. I think about a dear friend of mine that is, um, she just died, I've known her for for years and years and years, and she was a, a mother of three young children. She was diagnosed with cancer several months ago, and our family has been praying every single day for Jen. And just last week, Jen died. And there literally were thousands of people all over the country praying and praying and praying for Jen. And no doubt her husband, Scott, and no doubt her three sons asked God, why? Why is heaven silent on the one request that I want answered most? And you want to know my answer? I don't know. I don't know why these kind of prayers are not answered. But have you been there? Have you asked that question, why is heaven silent on the one prayer that I want answered most? You know, I think everyone in this room has been there, and some of you are there right now. 
And although I don't know why I can't answer that, and sometimes, like Job, you just need to put your hand over your mouth and say, I am silent before the face of God. I don't know why this happened. I do know this. I know that at the heart of the gospel stands an unanswered prayer. John Ortberg puts it like this. He said, Jesus, kneeling in the garden, prayed, Father, if it is possible, let this cup, this suffering, this death be taken from me. Let it pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now, surely, this is the most desperate prayer ever prayed from the most discerning spirit that ever lived, from the purest heart that ever beat for deliverance from the most unjust suffering the world has ever known. And all this prayer got was silence. Heaven was not moved. The cup was not taken away. The request was denied. And yet, and yet, from this unwanted, unmerited suffering came the hope that remade history. Because the ultimate answer to every anguish, including the anguish of unanswered prayer, is a blood-stained, sin-soaked cross where God in Christ suffered for humanity. In the cross, God's no to his son became God's yes to all of us. And now ultimately there is no request, listen, there is no request for healing and restoration that will ultimately go unanswered. There is no request that will ultimately go unanswered. Because after the silence of Friday came the joy of Resurrection Sunday. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. God has overturned the power of sin and death and darkness. And one day, all of creation that presently groans will experience the resurrected glory of Jesus. And you and I who groan, who suffer with him now, you and I will be raised bodily and physically in a glorified body to share in that glory. And on that day, we will find that we asked and we have received. We sought and we found. We knocked and the door was finally and ultimately opened. Opened in the kingdom of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you now and we thank you and we praise you that all of your promises are yes and amen in your son Jesus. We thank you, O oh God, that our healing and our restoration and our resurrection from the dead, our hope in the face of hopelessness is yes and amen in Jesus. And I pray, Father, for myself, I pray for my friends in this room this morning. God, where we have unbelief and cynicism, would you find us out? Would you expose it? And would you cultivate in us faith in you? 
Bolster our hope, bolster our confidence, O oh God, that we are not alone, that you are there, that you are not silent, and you are not deaf, and you hear us. And God, even now, as we enter into this space where we sing this final prayer, we pray, O oh God, that you would use these words. Give voice to the pain, to the cries in our own heart with these words, we pray, O oh God. And hear us, hear our cry, O oh God, and respond to us, we pray. We are your children and you are our Father. Through Jesus, amen.